Welcome to The West Steps, a podcast by the Colorado Children's Campaign that explores issues impacting Colorado kids and families. I'm Jackie Zubricki, the Communications Director at the Children's Campaign, and with me today is Emily Battaglia, our Communications Associate. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The West Steps Season 5. Emily is producing our podcast this year, and you'll be hearing her voice as well as mine over the course of the season. This is the fifth season of The West Steps. This year, we will be coming to you every other week with insights into various issues affecting our state. The Children's Campaign recently released a new strategic framework that includes four North Star goals, family economic prosperity, youth success, early childhood, and child and family health. That means we'll be talking a lot about policies, initiatives, programs, and other issues in these four areas. That includes everything from the end of the public health emergency declared during the pandemic and what it means for health and health coverage, Colorado's new Department of Early Childhood and how it's developing and playing out, housing affordability in Colorado's families, how we think about equitable school finance and what that actually looks like for kids and communities. There's a lot to discuss. But it's January, and in Colorado, that means the start of the legislative session. So today, we're going to kick off our season with a conversation with Riley Kitts, the Children's Campaign's Senior Director of Policy and Government Affairs. Hi, Riley. Thanks so much for joining us today. Um, I'm hoping that you can just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your role at the Children's Campaign before we get started. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me today. So my name is Riley Kitt, and I am the Senior Director of Policy and Government Affairs at the Children's Campaign. So that's a really kind of over-the-top fancy way of saying I am our in-house lobbyist. So I go get to go to the Capitol and lobby on behalf of bills and behalf of budgets. And I also supervise our great policy team here at the Children's Campaign. Awesome. So you are the perfect person to uh, kick off our season and tell us a little bit about the 2023 legislative session. So let's set the scene. Um, Can you give us a little overview about what's going to happen in the next couple months? How does Colorado's legislative session work? Yeah, great. So the Colorado legislature meets every year. And by our state constitution, they're only allowed to meet for 120 days. And that starts on January 9th. So starting January 9th, they're going to meet for 120 days and end on May 5th. Um, During that time, we're going to have new legislators seated who just won their election or re-election. There's probably going to be close to 600, 700 bills introduced. And really, the legislature has those 120 days to try to do as much as they can for the state of Colorado. They need to pass a balanced state budget. They need to pass a school finance act. And then advocates like the Children's Campaign and others really use it as an opportunity to try to push the needle forward for kids and families throughout the state. Yeah, so a lot of that's what's happening every year. Um, Let's talk about this year. What are some of the dynamics that um, are going on that you think are going to be affecting policy decisions this year? Yeah, so we're entering a new legislature and that's coming off the heels of, of the November election. And this election in Colorado Uh, was quite a big one, especially for Democrats. So Democrats were always expected to maintain the majorities they've had in both the House and Senate. They've had a pretty large majority in the House for several years. They've had a thin but growing majority in the Senate. Folks thought that that could either be narrowed or potentially the Republicans could take back the Senate last November 
but really the exact opposite happened. And the Democrats expanded their majorities in both chambers pretty substantially. In fact, in the House of Representatives, they have a super majority. They have enough seats to override governor's veto, to pass a lot of the priorities they need. And in the Senate, what thought to be really what's going to be close, they also expanded. The Democrats did their margins over there. So we're really looking forward to, to seeing how that plays out. There's going to be a lot of new faces. About a third of the legislature is new, which means a lot of education needs to happen on both the legislative process and the policies that are going to come in front of these legislators. And really, we're going to have to watch how are these dynamics going to play out. We have a very progressive, very democratic legislature with a bunch of new folks. It's going to be really interesting to see how things are managed over the next several months. And we have a lot of different reasons that you know bills could or could not pass in the state, partisanship, politics, but also Colorado, even though our economy is doing really well, our state budget is very tight for the next couple of years. And anything that costs money is going to be scrutinized to the nth degree to see if it really should become law. I really anticipate that some of those partisan politics and the budget to really be the top two things that are going to be the umbrella or, or kind of overlaying the entire 120-day legislative session. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm wondering if there's anything uh, in terms of where we are coming out of the pandemic that's on, on your mind as we go into 2023. Yeah. So the pandemic really put a pause on a lot of things, right? In 2020, when the pandemic hit, the legislature did a historic, unprecedented pause uh, which they had never done before. They actually got to extend their their time limit or their 120-day clock. And then the next thing happened in 2021, where we had a pause that we started the legislature in January. They went on a break for about a month and a half and extended their work. And actually, it was 2022 where things really started to get back uh, to somewhat of a normal, some somewhat of what it was like before COVID. There was full, um, folks were all in the Capitol. There wasn't any breaks. One of the great things was that from COVID, folks were able to participate at the Capitol via Zoom, via telephone. Usually when you had to go down to the Capitol to testify, you had to be there in person, wait for hours, wait for the bill to come up. And because of COVID, and we saw this across all different types of sectors, not just the legislature, things like Zoom and WebEx and virtual participation became realities. And those look like they're things to stay at the legislature, which is really fantastic when it's a hard building to get to in downtown Denver. It meets at a weird time of the year, especially in the winter months. And really, I think one of the good holdovers from COVID, and we'll talk about a few other good holdovers that we've identified. One of those things is that virtual participation and folks are going to be able to zoom in from all across the state to let their legislators know how they feel about a particular issue or not. Yeah. So different kinds of opportunities to engage. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what the Children's Campaign is focusing on this session. So um, can you step us through some of the issues that we're thinking about being really impactful for kids and families? Of course. So the Children's Campaign really takes the legislative session serious. We do view those 120 days as the opportunity to go in and make sure that we're trying to push that needle forward, like I said, for kids and families, and also play defense, right? There's sometimes policies that are introduced that we um, don't support or we ask to amend. And so we have to often weigh a bunch of different things all at the same time. Really excited that the Children's Campaign over the last year adopted a new strategic plan that's really going to guide us for the next several years. And really excited across all of our issue areas that we have legislation 
that we're pursuing. Everything from health insurance coverage to better childcare access to uh, redoing our school finance formula and making sure that families stay in their house houses. So maybe to start on that last one, the children's campaign has started to work more and more on eviction-related policies. And I had spoke about some of these holdovers from COVID around remote participation. Well, that's one of the things that the Children's Campaign and some other partners would like to pursue this year. Folks who have been going through eviction court proceedings, who have been facing eviction, throughout the pandemic have been allowed, for the most part, to participate in those court proceedings through Zoom or through telephone. And that's been really great. We've seen a lot of great outcomes from that. A lot less people are missing their court dates, which mean a lot less negative judgments and a lot more folks staying in their houses, but also for our more rural parts of the state where it could take hours to drive to get to a court proceeding, folks have been able to participate in those proceedings remotely. We'd like to see that policy continued. We'd like to see put into our state law that if you're going through an eviction proceeding, both the landlord and the tenant, all parties involved, can continue to participate in those proceedings remotely via Zoom or WebEx or telephone. So we're going to keep on pushing on those. Another thing we're working on with eviction, which is really important, especially as a statewide organization, is that we just don't have great data on evictions in this state. When we look at court proceedings and the outcomes that are coming from that, we can't tell what zip code folks are living in when they're being evicted. We can't tell if it's a residential property, a commercial property. We can't tell if they had legal representation. We don't even know the outcome of the cases a lot of the times. Was that family evicted? Was there an agreement reached that allowed them to stay in our home? So we're working with the legislature to do some good government, some good transparency, and make sure that we're really working on having all that data available so that we can do some statewide solutions, especially when it comes to a sticky problem like housing affordability and eviction. So some really tangible steps for keeping families in their homes and just understanding a little bit more about what's happening. That's really interesting. Um, I know that we're working on some bills around um, around health and um, health insurance. Can you talk a little bit about those? Yeah, of course. So once again, another silver lining, if we can find any from COVID, and there have been some good ones, right? Some lights have been shown on things, is that throughout the public health emergency, throughout the pandemic, folks who are enrolled in Medicaid or CHIP, the Child Health Plan Plus, those are our public health insurance programs in the state. Anyone that's been enrolled throughout this public health emergency has been kept on the rolls. They've maintained their coverage. They've been locked in for these last few years. And that's great, right? We want families, we want kids to have health insurance coverage and access to health care. And actually, Colorado is one of the leaders through the nation in keeping kids and families covered with health insurance throughout the pandemic. Well, the public health emergency will be coming to an end. The declaration from the federal government will be coming, which means that a bunch of people throughout the state are going to need to be redetermined for eligibility. And it's thought that a lot of folks are going to get disenrolled. Some studies have shown that upwards of 200,000 kids in the state of Colorado could get kicked off of Medicaid and CHIP coverage, which is really concerning. We know that kids need that coverage, especially young kids. It's important for their development. It's important for their health. And so we want to work with the legislature, and we've been pursuing some different options on how can we keep people covered for longer periods of time. Other states have locked in certain age groups into, into long-lasting coverage. So, for instance, kids who are born zero to six, that whole time to up to their sixth birthday, if they're enrolled in Medicaid or CHIP, other states have kept them locked into their coverage. 
They've also looked at older kids or certain populations, making sure that health insurance is maintained. So once again, just a good holder, holdover from COVID, we wanna make sure that people still maintain their health insurance coverage. And on the other side of our health portfolio is we're really trying to focus on family planning services in this state and preventative healthcare services, right? In the wake of uh, Roe v. Wade being overturned with that Dobbs decision, Colorado has kind of been in an island in the nation and folks are coming here to access abortion care. That's great. We want people to be able to access that type of care, but it is also stretching the available resources and funds that our state has for family planning. It's stretching those pretty thin. And so we want to go to the legislature and say, let's put some more investments into those programs to really help families plan their, plan their families, plan when they want to start or grow their families the best way possible. We also want to make sure that certain things like preventative services, whether it be STI treatments and uh, uh, diagnosis or things like fluoride for kids, we want to make sure that those things are, are still protected in our state. And there's some recent court cases that are making their way up to the, up to the Supreme Court that could really threaten a lot of those service, services and coverage. And Colorado has an opportunity to really lock those into our state law and make sure that private insurance still covers those preventative services that are really important through the entire continuum of life. Yeah, I think that's so important to think about what happens as that public health emergency um, is ending and we're kind of marking a new chapter. So yeah, really interesting. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, K-12 education and the work that we're calling youth success. What are we focusing on in that area this year? Yeah, great. So in our new strategic plan recently adopted, we've shifted away from just a K-12 education frame to more of a youth success frame. And that for us includes everything from school finance and school climate, but also suicide prevention and adolescent behavioral health. Some of these are new learning areas for us. So we're going to be dipping our toes in, really try to get a lay of the land on some of these policies, especially around adolescent behavioral health. But the children's campaign will always and uh, will continue to be a leader when it comes to school finance changes. And our big goal is to make sure that we are directing our state's limited resources to the schools and students that need those resources the most. We often think about that as kids who are thought of as at risk or living in economic disadvantage or students who may be learning English as a second language. We believe it's important to focus our state's dollars on those kids first rather than sending dollars to districts that are fairly wealthy or fairly well off. And that's what our school finance formula currently does. We take our limited resources, billions of dollars. We have an outdated school finance formula that really hasn't been updated since 1994. I was three years old at the time when that happened, wasn't even in school yet. And we wanna bring it into the 21st century, which means actually having a student-centered formula rather than relying on outdated policy that sends dollars to wealthy districts. Yeah, um, I think that with school finance, there is so much uh, to learn about. There's an episode of The West Steps from last season where I know that we dive into it and I'm sure we'll be exploring it a little bit more this year, but um, yeah, a lot of work to do there. Uh, and then thinking about younger kids and early childhood the last year, there have been a lot of big policy changes here. What are we focusing on um, for early childhood in 2023? You're completely right. There have been huge wins for the early childhood sector and community over the last few years. There's now a new department of early childhood that's been stood up. They're getting uh, all their staff hired. They're starting to, to really roll out some programs. That comes with a universal preschool program that's set to launch for next school year. 
um, of fall 23. Really excited for that. That's going well. Providers are getting signed up. But we can't forget about the, about the rest of the childcare industry. There's been such a strong focus on four-year-olds, right, with universal pre-K and even five-year-olds with full-day kindergarten a few years ago. We really need to make sure that we're still maintaining a solid focus on what's called infant and toddler care, right? Care for those newborns, care for those babies. And that can be expensive. It is expensive, more expensive than caring for a four-year-old. And we want to work with the early childhood community, the governor's office, and the legislature to really make sure that folks understand that, yes, we need universal pre-K, and we are so excited for it, but we cannot forget about the rest of the child care industry. We need to make sure that infant and toddler care is fully supported. One way that we can really do that is through what's called the Child Care Contribution Tax Credit. This is a tax credit that's been on the rolls in Colorado since the late 90s. And what it is, it's for folks who donate to child care and child care related services and centers, they get a 50% tax credit up to $100,000. So if you donate $20,000 to a child care center, you get a tax credit for $10,000. It's about $60 million a year for the child care industry in Colorado. And when we're talking about infant and toddlers, those are the centers that really rely on this type of tax credit. The thing is, is it's up for renewal. Whenever we do a tax credit for the most part in the state of Colorado, we have to put an end date on it. That end date's coming up. We know that this is a big boon for the uh, child care industry. We need to reauthorize and renew this tax credit. And so that's going to be a top priority for the campaign this year. Let's make sure we do pre-K the right way, but let's not leave infant and toddlers in the dust. Awesome. So just to pause there for a minute, that is uh, so much work on so many important issues affecting kids and families. Um, and if you are interested in learning a little bit more about that, we have our policy priorities on the Children's Campaign website. We can link that in our show notes. And um, just a lot of uh, things that we'll be really curious to follow and to dive into this session. So th thank you for laying that all out for us. Um, so just to wrap up, I'm, I'm wondering, um, a lot of the people listening to this podcast are probably intimately familiar with the ins and outs of the session, but there may be people who are not, and even people who, um, you know, follow what's happening in Colorado politics and policy. I, I'm wondering if there's anything that you wish people knew about the legislative session and how things work. Um, what do you think people should know that they don't? I wish, that's a great question. I wish people knew and really understood that when we call it the people's house, like that's not a cliche, that's not a corny thing that we're trying to say. And I think of the children's campaign, we're really trying to live that. That building, that capital, those processes should and are accessible to all folks in all walks of life. And legislators are great people, right? They're folks that really want to understand their communities and represent their communities. But like I said, there's 700 bills that are about to go through the process and legislators can't be experts on all of them. And so they rely yeah. on their constituents. They rely on community members to be those experts. And so the biggest thing I always want to emphasize for folks at the legislature is to not be intimidated by going into that building, which is opaque and has been established and has a lot of institutional issues that would go back centuries mm -hmm. and decades. But really, it's supposed to be an accessible place. And really, when you go in there, you probably know more about the issue that is hitting home for you, that is affecting your day-to-day -day life, than any legislator could. And they're going to rely on you to tell the story. They're going to rely on you to help them understand why they should vote yes, no, or otherwise. 
So I always want folks to recognize that. Legislators, awesome, amazing, smart people. Oftentimes more than not, folks who listen to these podcasts, folks who want to engage are far more the experts in these policy issues. Mm, yeah, I love that. And you, if you think about the things that you just described, like the housing, where we live, our health coverage, we all do have those experiences. And um, I love the reminder that it is the people's house. So thank you for that. Of course. Um, and yeah, if you're looking uh, forward to the session out of all of those things that you described, is there anything you're really excited about or looking forward to um, uh, in 2023? So I, I love working on policy. I love lobbying. I love going and doing the whole process. What I am most looking forward to for 2023 is building relationships between the children's campaign and the dozens of new legislators that are coming in and the dozens of legislators that are still there that we've worked with in the past. Politics and policy are a relationship type game, right? You need to have strong relationships. You need to have trusted voices at and around the table. And so it's going to be a lot of work, but I'm really looking forward to working with our colleagues at the Children's Campaign and others to go and build those relationships, to introduce the Children's Campaign and the resources and the data and the policy work and the research that we can provide and be that trusted voice. We've already met so many great elected officials from all across the state. What a great bright group that's coming into this legislature. And I'm really looking forward to digging in and, and getting some relationships really strongly established, hopefully for years to come. Okay, that's great. So, um, yeah, and speaking of the people's house and building those relationships, um, you know, how do you suggest that people keep in touch with um, you and with the children's campaigns work um, as we kind of get the session rolling this year? And are there Great ways question. that people can get involved, too? Yes, please. So feel free. I want folks to view the children's campaign. We are not just a resource for elected officials and government officials. We are also a resource for the public. And so if there are ever any questions about the process or you want to get more information on a bill or a policy or a legislator, or heck, you need an introduction because you don't know how to exactly to reach out to someone, we are here to be that resource. Jackie, I feel free to link my contact information in, in any of the episode notes, but folks are always welcome to reach out to the Children's Campaign to ask for those connections, to ask for those resources, to ask for those thoughts and opinions. We're happy to do that. And we try to proactively provide a lot of those to you all as well. So please go check out our website. As Jackie said earlier, we're going to link our policy priorities for the upcoming year in the episode notes. We do weekly updates on capital. We do weekly updates on bills that we're following. We do videos. You can go check all of that out at coloradokids.org. Be sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter called Kids Flash as well. That's going to be a great resource on both what's happening at the Capitol, what's happening nationally, and what could be happening in your community as well. And then, of course, hop on that social media. We are always active on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We are trying to engage with folks. We recognize that those are great mediums to get people informed and engaged. Those are great ways. Go follow us. Go sign up for those alerts. And those are going to be great ways to see ongoing progress at the Capitol, and also ways that you all can plug in. We're going to have asks on all those platforms to call, write, testify in front of your legislator. And if you want to get involved in the civic process, whether you have testified on a hundred bill, hundreds bills before, or you just follow along on your couch, we can help you get there in front of those legislators and make sure your voice is heard. Great. 
Well, Riley, thank you so much for joining us today and talking a little bit about uh, the, the politics and the workings of the Capitol, but also about these really important policy issues that we're all going to be following this year and that can, we hope, really make some improvements um, for Colorado kids and families. Um, great to have you as the first guest for season five. So thank you thank so you. much. Yes. Yes. Season five, Jackie. Uh, thank you so, so much. I'm really looking forward to hearing this season. I appreciate being on. And if folks need anything, you all know where to reach us. Thanks so much for joining us for episode one of season five of The West Steps. Is there something you'd like to hear us talk about on the podcast? You can send us an email at Colorado Children's Campaign Media at gmail.com. That's Colorado Children's Campaign Media at gmail.com. The West Steps and the rest of the Children's Campaign's work is possible thanks to our philanthropic funders and our generous sponsors and donors. Thank you to Goldbug, Colorado Access, D.A. Davidson and Company, David and Laura Mirage, Elaine Gantz-Berman, and Steve Berman for being supporters in 2022. If you enjoy resources such as The West Steps, consider supporting our work by visiting coloradokids.org donate. The West Steps is a production of the Colorado Children's Campaign. It was created by Beza Tades. Our host is Jackie Zuberke, and I'm your producer, Emily Battaglia. Subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts.